0: Sometimes it's easy to forget how much we need, we need God, and uh, we need his, not just his presence, which we are reminded of in testimonies, just, uh, we just need God, we need God for all of life, and um, may, we, um, may we see our, our desperate need for uh, his aid and his help. Exodus chapter 14, Exodus chapter 14. I suspect you probably heard of SARS. Say SARS, what is it? Severe acute respiratory syndrome. SARS was a virus found in China. Get this, this is rather interesting. And from late 2002 until late 2003 it spread to 29 countries causing thousands of illnesses and death. And it was around that time that a guy by the name of Charles Colson wrote an article, and he focused on fear of that virus. And I thought it was real interesting, came across the story. Here's what he said. Last month, Major League Baseball decided to play games scheduled in Toronto despite concerns over the outbreak of SARS in that city. Players had expressed fear over the possibility of infection during road trips to Toronto, and major leaguers aren't the only ones feeling afraid these days. According to a recent Wall Street Journal article, again, this is, get this, 2002, not, not, you know, 2019, all right? Uh, But, um, and he said, uh, Americans, uh, the Wall Street Journal article said, uh, title was, Americans believe danger lurks everywhere. It isn't only the nervous types. A businessman from Chicago described, described in the article has flown a small plane, tried bungee jumping, skied on glaciers, drove his sports car 152 miles an hour on a public road, and yet he was going to cancel a business trip to the Orient out of fear of contracting SARS. And Americans' fears aren't limited to SARS, as the recent hoarding of bottled water, plastic sheeting, and duct tape illustrates. Despite living in what they they said in the article, the safest society in recorded history, many people feel as though they have never been more at risk. Why? There are institutions in American life that have an interest in pointing out, if not exaggerating, the risks associated with everyday life. The media, in its quest for viewers and readers, then hides these risks, often without any qualification or real-world context. Since most people lack the necessary skills to make sense of these so-called threats, the result is a feeling of vulnerability that is out of proportion to any actual threat. And the government declares alerts over every indication of danger for fear of being criticized that it failed to warn people. But there's another more important reason For our increased anxiety that the Wall Street Journal doesn't address, which is not surprising, it is a loss of faith in the biblical God, in the doctrine of providence. For nearly two millennia, belief in the biblical God helped Western man make sense of the world. People believed that someone was in charge and that he was directing the events in accordance with some good purpose. So even when bad things happen, the world wasn't deemed to be senseless. As Thomas Cahill wrote in The Gifts of the Jews, it was biblical religion with its belief in one all-powerful God that gave the West its understanding of history and progress. Not only that, it provided the sense of hope. It is precisely this belief in divine providence that has been the most weakened by the ascent of materialism especially Darwinism. Although most Americans profess to believe in God, for many, this God isn't terribly energetic, let alone being in charge of events. We increasingly feel that we live in a world where no one cares and no one is in control. Every report about SARS or terrorism only reinforces this feeling and heightens our fears despite our being, statistically speaking, safer than any generation in history. And I wish I could say that Christians are exempt from these fears. We're not, even though we ought to know better. The only way past this urge to, in the words of Scripture, flee though none pursue, is faith in the biblical God. Without this faith... The fears described by the journal will continue to affect not only our national pastime, but our national character, as well. Honestly, that could have been written just a couple years ago, and it almost sounds like it could have been repeated almost word for word um, with what's happened. What fear has gripped our world for two, you know, over two years now, going on three almost? COVID. And you may tire hearing about it, like I do, but our world is still held in its grip. You say, well, why did you bring it up? Well, I brought it up for this reason. After deciding on using that article to lead us to the passage in Exodus 14, which I hope you'll see the reason for and behind, um, I, uh, it was interesting. I took some time to go and, and do a search and came across the, a Mayo Clinic article that detailed the outbreak of SARS since it first became worldwide, a worldwide issue in 2002. And what made this article, if you would, so powerful to me is because I purposely left off something when I gave you the opening definition of SARS. The Mayo Clinic had this, severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus, which causes SARS. What struck me is that the article, seriously, could have been written two years ago. But it was written 20 years ago about the same virus that people today are still panicked over. Isn't that interesting? We come to a passage in Exodus 14 where Israel is overcome by fear. The fear is not in something that does not exist, but in a real situation that would normally be fearful for any human being. The pharaoh of Egypt has his army with him, and he's coming to deal with the people that have decided to leave his land. The people have nowhere to run or hide, and a con- confrontation is inevitable in chapter 14. Wouldn't you be afraid? But there's one man who stands up among the people, and he tells the people, fear not. He tells them, stand still. How could he say such a thing in a crisis time? Because he believed in a God who was above the circumstances, a God who promised to meet their every need. And he said it very powerfully, the Lord shall fight for you. In fact, Look at it, if you would, in verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. In other words, they we're going to have to fight. All they needed to do was trust God. All right, so why was Moses so different than the rest? Why wasn't he taken by this situation that was totally, uh, if you would, for, from a human perspective, something to fear about? There's reason why. And uh, it's a reason that is still applicable today and a lesson for us still to learn today. And I hope you will find the encouragement in it. You see, whether it was Pharaoh or his army, a world war, or COVID, there is still a God who is bigger than the crisis situations of life. And Exodus chapter 14 is a picture of a a group of people who were controlled by their circumstances who should have known better and one man who stood above the circumstances. Now, which one are you? Which one were you two years ago? Which one were you in 2002 when SARS was around? Amazing thing, isn't it? And so, uh, tonight we get to look at this message from, from God, if you would, to the children of Israel. Stand still and see. And I hope you will be encouraged to do that very thing. So, we have in Exodus chapter 14, uh, this, this story, a terrifying story from the perspective of many but a story that's going to teach us that there is a great God in heaven that can do great things. Uh, and the entire chapter is all about God doing a great thing as he put them in the situation they were in. Notice these words. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before uh, pa, yeah, that Pahiroth. Isn't that a great name? Paha Uh Okay, and if I'm pronouncing it wrong, go ahead and... Okay, I knew I was going to have trouble with that. Between Migdal and the sea over against Baal-Zephon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will save the children of Israel. They are are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Uh, We'll continue reading and we'll look at this and we'll begin to look at the first point in just a moment. Let's pray, though. Father, we need your direction, your guidance, your wisdom, your help, your understanding. And Lord, as we face trying times in life, like was read in the article back in 2002, written uh, during a time of crisis, uh, even now as we deal with somewhat the same thing, the coronavirus, Um, I pray, Lord God, that we would uh, respond properly and understand there is a God in heaven that's still at work. And as not just the article reminds us, as Exodus 14 teaches us, there's a God who's in control. And may our hearts be encouraged and helped and challenged from Exodus 14, I pray. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin where the story begins Do you realize verses 1 to 4 are a conversation with God? Let's start there. And we've got to understand what's going on and the reason why Moses could stand up in verse 14 and say, the Lord will fight for you. Or he could say in verse 13, fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Well, why could he say that? And why was he able to, if you would at this time, not be controlled by the circumstances around him? And it is because of this conversation in these first four verses with God. Uh, notice verse 1 where he's given a duty, a duty. If we're going to understand Moses' boldness, we got to understand why he wasn't shaking in his boots. Oh, I'm sorry, his sandals, as would be the case, at the oncoming army. The reason he didn't seem alarmed or controlled by the situation is because he had this conversation with God. Verse 1 reveals that, and the Lord spake unto Moses. So there's this conversation that goes on in these first four verses. Uh, And as far as we know, he had relayed the same information to the people. Well, how do we know that? Look at verse 2. Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn in a camp. And we know he had had that conversation already because if you look at the end of verse 4, it says, And they did so. Who's they? It's the children of Israel. So God has a conversation with Moses. Moses then goes to the people and tells them what his conversation with God was about. He shares these things with the people so they know these things. And in that conversation, God gave them a duty, a responsibility what was it? What's that? Okay, to camp by the sea. Going to put them in a specific place. Now, notice, and let's just reference that, a danger. Okay, not only a duty, but a danger. Verse 2, speak unto the children of Israel that they turn in a camp. You're going to go to this specific place, um, and you'll camp by the sea. And verse 3, for Pharaoh will save the children of Israel. They're entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. If you took a time to look at the geography and where they went and how they journeyed, it really, God put them in a place where they couldn't go anywhere. All right? They had just actually passed through. If I remember, we saw a documentary about, uh, about this where they actually found uh, chariot wheels and other things in the Red, in the Red Sea. Very, very interesting um, thing that they showed in, in, in documentary, and and it shows where they went. It, it truly was amazing. The children of Israel kind of had almost mountains on every side, and they come to the Red Sea, and there's just no place to go. So you got, you got on both sides, you got things that are keeping you from going. You got the water behind you, and you see Pharaoh's army coming behind you. I mean, there's just literally no way out. And Pharaoh knew that, and God knew that. And he said, I'm sending you that way anyway. Look, God could have sent him any, he could have sent them a number of different ways, I would suspect. Actually, there were two options talked about in the previous chapter, which we've made reference to already. But God was putting them in a dangerous situation. God uh, protected them from a difficult situation, we already know, because God said, I'm not going to send you this way because you're going to face war and you'll want to come back. But then God put them in this situation and put them in a place where they're going to be in trouble. So we have a duty, we have a danger in God's conversation with, with Moses. Then we have a declaration. In verse 3, God said Pharaoh would see the way they went, would view it as a terrible mistake, would it, and that would encourage him to go bring them back. I mean, look, this is going to be easy. It's almost like just, just going to find your, your you know puppy that's, that's lost now uh, because it's already been taken in by someone, and there's no way out. You know, so you're going to, it's going to work out. And that's only the idea. So God said, look, I just want you to know. Um, And in verse four, look, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. So Pharaoh's going to make this decision and I'm going to harden his heart. so that He follows after the people. And then in verse four, we have a decision. And don't miss this interesting statement at the end of verse four. And you just made reference to it. What are the last four words? And they did so. Moses has obviously repeated God's message to Israel, and they make a decision. What's the decision? To go. Please understand, as best we know, he's told them everything God said. So then, they should know, right? That they're going to be in a place where they're going to be, if you would, vulnerable. They know Pharaoh's going to see that, And make the decision he's going to come. So why are they afraid in verses 12 and 13? Or verses 11 and 12 or whatever. Ah, Sorry, verse 10 and 11 and 12. So we have this conversation with God. And they make the right decision here. It is commendable. It's noteworthy that they were ready to obey God, even though they said that they were gonna—that trouble was going to be the result. And by the way, that's what makes verses 10, 11, and 12 kind of disturbing. It's kind of like, God already told you this was going to happen. So now, or why are you, oh, it's happened. God told you it was going to happen. <laughs> it's like, God told you it would happen. So don't you expect it? Don't don't you believe it? I mean, seriously, don't you? So the situation happened exactly as God said it would. And the people didn't then need to fear. And here's the truth. We don't either need to fear the troubles of life today. Because God has said in his word, repeatedly, troubles will come. Now, it's interesting is that they had the specifics about the trouble. What exactly is going to happen? Now, we don't always have the specifics, but we do know from the scripture that God said problems would come to to believers. So this conversation with God, the word of God comes to Moses. It's shared with the people, and it shares everything that's going to take place, what's going to happen, how it's all going to play out, and God says, I want you to go this way, and the people agree, and they go. So think about this. Again, stop here and think about this. Why do we have verse 10? Why do we have verse 10? The word of God told them what they needed to know to have hope and comfort when the trouble came. It's amazing. Now, look, we don't have conversations with God today as Moses had here, but we do have a Bible. And according to the word of God, his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And in that same passage he says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. It's 2 Peter chapter 1, if you want the reference, verses 3 and 4. That by these we might be partakers of the divine nature. So we have a book that tells us all we need to know, what we need to do, give us promises to hold on to, so we don't need to fear. But before we jump all over Israel, who, by the way, made the right decision to go when God said to go in the first place. Before we get all over them forget being fearful in verse 10, let's ask ourselves the question, were we fearful two years ago? Were we controlled by the circumstances? Did we allow it to guide and and, or or to control our life and the things that we would do? When God said, look, problems are going to come. And... Um, it's, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? It's always easy to be critical of the children of Israel. Man, I can go in the Old Testament, I can find, no, I mean, turn just every three or four pages, and I can find something to criticize Israel over, can't you? But the thing is, many of the times that we criticize Israel over things, if we're really honest about the fact, we do the very same things. And that is because it's easy to see it in someone else, but it's hard to see it in ourselves. And that's one of the reasons why I thought the story that I shared at the beginning and that article was so fitting because it revealed a situation took place 20 years ago. The same thing happened 20 years later with the same virus. By the way, uh, coronavirus, this is free, has been around since 1963. So when someone says, oh, I I, I have COVID, COVID's been around since 1963 and no one said anything about it until two years ago. No one said I had COVID. People said, I have the flu. It's been the flu for 50 years, but now it's COVID. Now you say, well, wait a second. Isn't there a more dangerous strain? Boy, I'm getting off on another subject, and boy, that's another time for another time. There we go. I always have to look at Brother Deals whenever I say that now. And don't write that one down either. I don't want to. I, don't want to <laughs> all right. I can't even remember what I told you to write down the other day, but you're going to have to remind me of it. All right. So anyway, but the truth is it's been around for 50 years. But And, and you say, well, wait a second, Pastor. Uh, this is different. It's a variation of the virus, no doubt about it. Okay. The thing is, it's a virus. It's the flu, which uh, no one is willing to say anymore. That's what it is. I have the flu. I have an especially bad case of the flu. And the truth is, SARS was a sign that this can happen. Very serious flu outbreaks. And the government did. over. I, again, I read the article. I thought, this is exactly what happened three years ago. And And yet... People are controlled by circumstances. And we go back to our story here, and this is a scenario where we would like to say, I wouldn't be like that because God told it." No, I tell you, God told us, and two and a half years ago, three years ago, we're still in a tizzy or something God said would happen. So then let's learn from this situation. Let's remind ourselves the next time a name comes. And let's let this be a lesson to us. Moses was able to stand up and say, "Stand still and see the salvation of God." Now the truth is, we needed more people to do that in life. Um, we have a Bible that gives us direction, even for fearful times like with COVID or the flu. That's very serious. Someone preaching a message on Ephesians 6 asked this question, is the sword dependable? Is the sword dependable? And he went on to preach about the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. Now, he asked the question we already know the answer to, right? Is the sword dependable? Okay, how do we know? Okay, we know because the Bible says it is. Let me ask you: How else do we know, and and when do we learn? God's word is dependable. Okay. That's right. Okay. You, here's here's when we find out: when the enemy is marching and we're cornered, and we don't have anywhere to turn. That is the time when we find out, in reality, God's word is true. It is. And so, uh, the the truth is, it's only then that we find out that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, that it actually works. And so, God allows us in these situations... And God puts us in these, if you would, trying times and gives us his word. And he says, okay, now here's your chance. So we got Moses, we got the children of Israel. Who was successful in chapter 14? Okay, so which, which camp are you in? Think about it. It's very challenging, isn't it? So we have a conversation with God. Now, let's look, let's look further. We have a calamity from God, verses 5 to 9. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. Surprise, surprise. Okay, I had to add that. Um, because who told him that? Ah, huh, yeah, all right. Moses told him that because who told Moses that? God did. All right, got to think this through, all right? Um, so... Um, and they said, why have we done this? What, what ha- that we have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camping by the sea beside that place and before that other place. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. So we have the calamity from God in verses five to nine, a change of heart in Pharaoh. Surprise, surprise. Hasn't there been a few changes of heart in Pharaoh? Go, Moses, you can go, but you can only take the, you can only take the men. Go, you can go, but um, yeah, there's been a couple of changes of mind and then um, they couldn't, none of them could do it. So there was a change in heart in Pharaoh. And uh, the situation that comes here reminds us of, and this is another sideline here, but it's, it's a truth to be reminded of, of general dishonesty, the lack of trust we can have in in fellow fellow men. It doesn't mean we need to live always with distrust. Thankfully, there are some people to have at least a little bit of character. Will tell you the truth, but Pharaoh is just an example of of what what someone is when they're when they when they are of their father of the devil. Because our father of the devil is the father of lies. That's right. Dishonesty, deceit, and so we have it here. Um, we shouldn't be surprised when lost people lie. We shouldn't be surprised when a government lies about what a virus is all about. We shouldn't be surprised when leaders stand up and tell us things that absolutely, totally aren't true and say so you need to believe it. Okay? These, these are all things that are so apropos to where we're at in our day and age right now. Um, now, these people were given leave of Egypt already, right? But now Pharaoh's coming after him. It appears they understood that this man was going to slaughter them when they saw him coming with the Egyptian army. Was Pharaoh going to slaughter him? Was he? He planned to take him back. And quite honestly, there there is a sense in which he probably would have slaughtered a great number of the men. I don't doubt that, um, to just prove a point. Um, And I believe that the Israelites probably saw that. But here's the truth. When fear grips our heart and we haven't believed God's word as we ought, a lot of times our problems are magnified. And they become far bigger than they truly are. Quite frankly, a great majority of those people were going to be going back to Egypt if God's word wasn't true. Um, because Pharaoh wasn't going to wipe them all out. And yet, what the people saw is, we're, we're done. We're, we're toast, okay? Our life, our life is over. Uh, in fact, you say, well, wait a second. Did they really, really believe that? Yes. Uh, look at verse 12. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than what? That we should die in the wilderness. Okay? We're going to die. It's all over. And that's what many times happens when we don't believe God. So we have a calamity from God and a change in heart in Pharaoh. And uh, that's just a truth of human nature. A couple things to note about this. God said in verse three, Pharaoh will save the children of Israel. They're entangled in the land, right? Okay. Look at verse five. And is that what Pharaoh basically said? Okay. In essence, I don't have the wording there exactly but we have Pharaoh making a personal choice. Yes? You see that? Okay, so we have Pharaoh, a change of heart in Pharaoh, and I don't know if I have these, these points under. It was a personal choice. Now, if you look at verse 4, what does it say? I will harden Pharaoh's heart. It was a personal choice, but it was something else. Now, you say, well, when did it happen? Well, it didn't happen in verse 5 where God hardened his heart. It didn't happen in verse 6. It didn't happen in verse 7. Where did it happen? Yeah. Somewhere in the journey. I don't know. Maybe Pharaoh was having a change of mind. And God said, okay. You made the decision to take that first step. So I'm going to continue to do this. Now, this is also free. I reference my Calvinist friends who keep saying the Bible teaches men don't have a free will. Pharaoh proves in this very passage the same one they keep pointing to saying God hardened Pharaoh's heart, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And they keep wanting to harp on this idea. The fact is Pharaoh hardened his heart according to what God said in the first place would happen. And then after the fact, later on, at some point, God continued to harden his heart or God, God kept his heart hard, if you will. And um, absolutely, seriously, absolutely disproving the very person that Calvinists almost always will point to as an example of God controlling the heart and every decision that a man would make. And God reveals in this passage, here's what's going to happen. Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. He's going to make the decision. And then I'm going to harden his heart. And it's laid out here beautifully. Pharaoh hardened his heart exactly as God said and then God hardened his heart. Do you see that? You Say you're splitting hairs. Well, maybe so. But it's important for us to note this because it is exactly as God said. If Pharaoh will harden his heart, then I will harden his heart. And God did that very thing. And so we have a change of heart in Pharaoh, a personal choice, a providential doing. And then we have a, a crisis for the people. A crisis for the people in verse 9. The Egyptians pursued uh, after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them in camping by the sea. And um, seriously, I, I have no question that it had to be a frightening thing. We don't have weapons. We haven't been trained in war. We haven't been involved in a war. We have no way to fight. We have nothing we can do. We're, we're cornered. There's a crisis for the people. It meant danger, it meant difficulty, it meant a test of their faith in what God had said. And here's the thing. Now, they didn't know this, but it happened exactly as God said. They weren't in Pharaoh's chambers, you know, when Pharaoh heard this news and where Israel was. And they didn't know these things. But look, there was no reason to doubt God. Everything had happened as God had said all the way through the plagues. I mean, how many times does it have to actually happen according to what God said when you actually come to the place where you say, hey, God said it, it's true. You know? Like, hello? And here's the thing. Uh, uh, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. God said it, and then the test comes, and it's like, oh! Oh! <laughs> and this is I, I told you. Trust me, my word's true. Verses ten to twelve: a cry or complaint to God. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast taken us away to die, in, uh, or thou hast taken us away to die in the wilderness. Wherefore hast thou thus dealt with, uh, with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. A cry or complaint to God. It was a fearful cry. A fearful cry. Do you know two different cries go up in our text? Two different cries. This one. In verse 10, they cried out to the Lord. The next is found in verse 15. Who made that cry? Moses. So we have the people, we have Moses. One is answered, one is ignored. Which one's answered? Moses got the children of Israel. Which one is answered? Moses. Which one's ignored then? Children of Israel. Why? They both cried to the Lord. Why did God ignore one and answer the other? One was a statement made in fear And the other was a cry made in faith. And God isn't going to honor one made in fear. But he's already said, this is what I'm going to do. Moses needed to know something further. So he cried out to God. Because he knew all these things and he just finished saying, in essence, God told us to do. Stand still and see the salvation of God. He didn't know how God was going to do the saving because God didn't reveal that in verses 1 to 4, did he? He just said, I will deliver. So two cries, and one was a fearful cry. And, um, and the cry based solely on fear, a cry of doubt, doubt when God has already told them this is going to happen, is one that God doesn't answer. And we can't expect God to answer. It's kind of like God's already told you, and if it happens then why are you crying out about it? I told you what's going to happen. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 reminds us of. The Bible says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So when I do have anxiety, I need to do that. And God said what? The peace of God, which passeth understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now look, that is God's promise. Is it true or not? So then, are you going to do that, or are you going to fret? Are you going to do that, or are you going to worry? Moses, Moses believed, believed Philippians four six and seven, and his prayer was answered. Children of Israel didn't. Of course, it wasn't written at that time. But Moses believed God's word in verses 1 to 4. People didn't. Do you see the difference? And how important it is for us to understand this truth. There was a fearful cry. Verses 11 and 12 talk about a faithless comment, a fearful cry to God, not answered, and then a faithless comment. It's interesting, but when people fear for the wrong reason, they will often attack those who aren't controlled by fear. Well, you're ignoring reality. Whatever. Why would you bring us out here? It's, it's always it's an amazing thing that, that Christians, okay, sometimes people are over and above and they're not believing the right thing, but Christians will jump all over Christians. But the reason they'll jump all over them is because they're not handling things the way God wants them to, and the other person is. And so all of a sudden now we got, we got a new guy that we got to jump on, or a new person we got to jump on and get all over because, well, they sh- he should be fearful like us. Why'd you bring us out here to die? And, and Moses just got done saying, this is what God said is going to happen. And, he just, and and so he has to reiterate the same thing. Stand still. See the salvation of God. So we have a faithless comment. These people became critical of God's leader because they didn't listen to God. It's an amazing thing. Count on the fact that when you're out of fellowship with God and disobedient to the word, you will become critical of those in authority and those who are trusting and following God. I think it's interesting. Have you ever seen this? A young guy um, or a young lady, whatever it is, they come to faith in Christ, they get saved. Maybe they're in their 20s, they get saved, and their life just totally changes. And they have this beautiful smile on their face, they have the joy of the Lord. Their life is changing by leaps and bounds. They'll share testimonies on Sunday evenings about what God is doing in their life and how wonderful the Christian life is and everything else. And someone that's been saved 50 years ago, 50 years, will say something like, Yeah, they'll get over it soon. Come on, you, you, you probably heard, yeah, yeah, well, it's good to see that, but, you know, they'll, they'll get over it. heres Here's the truth. Um, they shouldn't ever get over it. They shouldn't. And, and, and what has happened in that case is someone who has grown cold and, and fearful, if you would, looks at someone who's fervent and faithful and criticizes and such is the situation here. Do, do you see this scenario? It's just, it's an amazing thing. So here's a guy who believes God, and he's standing here alone, if you would. And here's this, this crowd over here saying, "Yeah, why did you, you cause all these problems? Why did you bring us here? I, that's, a, that's a great one. Um, and let me ask you a question. Did Moses bring him there? No, look at verse 4. Look at the last four words, and you tell me who brought him there. They brought themselves there because they agreed, by the way, rightfully so, with God. But who are they blaming? Amazing thing, isn't it? Amazing thing. A lot lot of lessons, but we have a faithless uh, comment. Uh, Do you know what compound interest is? It's a principle in investments, right? Money compounds far greater over time because the money that is interest Is put into this, and so it's getting interest on interest on interest, and so it compounds. Do you know fear is kind of like that? It's like compound interest. When when you first allow fear to enter your life, even though God has already spoken and said something, it compounds it, and it makes all sorts of problems, whereas you start to see other people as the enemy. You start to see the situation as uncontrollable. You see it as bigger than it truly is. We're all going to die. Why would you bring us out here? And that's what happens. It's, if you would, it's compound interest when it comes to fear in your life. And, and it led them to this faithless comment and then um, and then a failure of focus. Now, we already established the fact fear comes from a lack of faith. Israel was fine as long as they were looking where they needed to be looking. Verse 4, they did so. When they were looking to the cloud and the pillar of fire, they were fine. But when they looked at the circumstances, what does it say? The children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and no longer did they see the cloud, no longer did they see the pillar. Was it still there? Was it still there? Was God's presence still there? How do we know that? Well, it says in verse 19, and the angel of God which went before the camp of Israel removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. Cloud was still there. The presence of God was still visible. They could have looked there, but what were they looking at? Okay, I'm, I'm I, yeah, I'm still jumping on this. I know we're all tired of it but what were people looking at two years ago? We're looking at COVID, we're, we're gonna die. Anyone who gets it's gonna die, the world's ending, which is what the media does, what the government did, what everyone did, sadly. And, um, and we forget that there's, a, there's still the cloud and the fire, and we start to focus on the circumstances rather than the God who said these things would happen in his word and gave us guidelines for how to deal with it. Should have been preaching this two and a half years ago, yeah. Well, we did kind of a little bit. Remember Peter in the ship? Let me come down. Let me walk on the water. And Yeah, we criticized Peter. But, you know, he walked on water, and you haven't ever. He did. But when did he stop walking on water? He started looking at the storm, didn't he? He was looking at Jesus, and then he started to look around like, hey, what am I doing out here? Um, and uh, it just, it, it's Lord, save me. That's all he had to say. And God took care of it. But, um, but these are important lessons. And they're what they, we see laid out for us here in the beginning of chapter 14, and quite frankly, I find them extremely challenging because I, I believe in the scenario that we presented at the beginning of the message, we have seen an illustration of how that works in our lives. And sadly, sometimes it's kind of like a little bit convicting because what we jump on the Israelites for over and over, the truth is um, those things have happened in our life. And so what this should be is a challenge to us that the next time God puts a crisis in our life, that we remind ourselves, okay, I'm not going to look just at the circumstances, I'm going to remember that there's a cloud and pillar of fire that God's presence is still with me. I have his Holy Spirit dwelling within and he never leaves me or forsakes me. He's already spoken about this. So I want to find out what he said and I want to live in light of it. And let's not jump on Israel. Let's just ask God to help us to keep from being like Israel. And and may we have more Christians at the next crisis that comes in our life who act like Moses, stand still and see the salvation of God. You won't see the Egyptians again. Where did he get that idea? God's word. And that conversation he had with God that he already shared with the people. He was just reiterating what he already knew. God's word is true. And um, that, my friends, is a challenge we need today and we've needed over the last couple of years and we need it just in everyday life. And I I hope it's challenged you as it's challenged me and reminded me because I I hate to say it, but I've been like Israel at times in my life about situations that have come. And, And I want to be like Moses. I want to be like Moses. Hope you do too. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the, the lesson to be learned in Exodus 14, one that is so appropriate to our day. And I am thankful that you're in control of all things, that um, you were in control of, of the coronavirus in 2002 and three when SARS was raging. You were in control a couple years ago when the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 hit. And you're still in control today with the things going on with government, everything else. Help us just to look at what God has said and to stand still and see the salvation of God. May we be people who are like Moses rather than the children of Israel. Thanks for the lesson you've given us. Help us as we go our way this week to live in light of this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, bless you as you live like Moses in your situation, you're dismissed.